welcome back to the Garage Gym PT Podcast. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our discussion last week on uh, the modalities, and hopefully you guys have a little bit more information now to work with. Um, but today, what Dave and I are going to be talking about is overhead stability. Um, yeah, this came up in one stuff. of the polls. <laughs> back, back to the fun stuff. Uh, this came up in one of the polls, so we decided we were going to finish up uh, besides the squat and deadlift, we talk about overhead stability. Um, so I guess, Dave, where do you want to start with this? I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's not, not easy to define. So like, there's really yeah. nothing that can be like definitional about it. It's just like one of those things where you have it or you don't. And it's probably similar to finding the bottom of a squat. Like the more repetition you have in it, the better you're going to be at it. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep touching on it to find it. Yeah. Overhead stability. I mean, just to name a few movements that would require overhead stability. I mean, you got the snatch, the jerk portion of the clean and jerk, um, handstand push-ups, um, you know, your traditional strict press. Um, am I yeah. missing anything? Handstand, handstand walks. You could even kind uh, of put this like maybe in like an incline bench category too. Yeah, there's that as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we can incorporate. Well, that's a pretty good list, I'd say. Um, I think that most people who who struggle with overhead stability, if you look at it, um, I always start off with thoracic mobility. That's usually where I look at first. Um, I mean, obviously, it's going to be dependent upon the person. Some people are extremely mobile and just lack stability. Some people are just really rounded in the upper back, so they can't get overhead. Yeah, I guess like the the prerequisite here is that you actually have the mobility to do it, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which is very hard if you're somebody who sits in front of a computer all day, or yeah. you're trying to pick this up later in life. I mean, you'll see this a ton at CrossFit gyms, like where people are trying to, you know, join, hit stuff head on, go full bore. And mm-hmm. they just don't have the mobility, the strength, or the stability, or even just the volume of overhead pressing to, to quote unquote, have a stable overhead position. Yeah, I think that's one of my hangups with um, throwing people right into the uh, the Olympic lips when they don't necessarily have all the components to put it together. Yeah. Um, like I'm fine with like, I mean, people can learn how to do deadlifts, like, like break it down um, into different components, but the overhead portion, I think is where people are going to have the most difficulty. Um, sure. and that, it's kind of hard for people to learn how to snatch if you don't even have good overhead capacity. Um, yeah. And like a hierarchy there is obviously your overhead squat has to precede your, your snatch and probably an overhead press and a push press have to you know, proceed your, your jerk. Mm-hmm. So if you're not finding this position and accumulating reps where you're actually, this is might be controversial, but either directly over your head or slightly behind your head and stacked, you're not, you're not anywhere close. Yeah. I mean, you could break this down into two different kinds of people, people lacking mobility, in which case the big things I'm going to look at are going to be one, like we already said, thoracic extension, uh, being able to get overhead. Two, 
what is it like through their internal rotators to get into the overhead position? So like how tight are their pecs? How tight are their lats? Um, can they achieve like an upwardly rotated scapular position with just simply reaching to begin with before I even load them? Um, if they can't necessarily get into that overhead position, you're going to be working on a lot of mobility. Um, and then there's the opposite side paradigm where they're so mobile, but they have like, like Uncle Ben reference, you have so much mobility and no strength. So with great mobility comes the need for great strength. Um, and so like rotator cuff strength, being able to maintain the overhead positioning of the upper rotated scap, um, that kind of stability, scapular and glenohumeral. Yeah, and I don't think that they're mutually exclusive either. So a lot of those Absolutely. tight people have piss poor external rotation strength and piss poor scapular strength too. Because mm -hmm. they're kind of at a, a position that's disadvantageous for, for stacking. Mm -hmm. So they have very poor levers to do that. I agree. And I think like uh, what you'll see people start to do is they'll default towards instead of it being like an upwardly rotated scap, they default into that elevated position and it just pushes everything forward in order to create stability. Yeah, this is your so when you are looking at this person from either in front or behind, this is the tendency to shrug when Bingo. you're overhead. Mm -hmm. So flat out, like if you are shrugging you are creating a false sense of stability and not actually utilizing the muscle mass in your scaps and lower back that you need to. Bingo. And that's where I think cueing with this needs to be done. I mean, I mean, obviously find what works the best for cueing for your, your athlete or your patient. But at the end of the day, um, if you're cueing them to shrug, you got to look at what, what the quality of that, that quote unquote shrug is. Like, have you ever heard that before? like punching to the sky. And if you're not maintaining that position, then you're not going to be able to sustain an overhead. But at the same time, like if they're going into that shrug, all you've created is just a shifted scap up the backside. You haven't actually gotten into an actual like driving of the upward rotation. And that I think needs to be addressed more so than ever, um, especially with younger kids. Because I mean, some of them don't know necessarily how to move and they're learning how to move. So if you're teaching them the wrong way right out of the gate, like that always drives me insane. Right. So if if you get stuck in this shrug position, what you're actually doing is you're creating a moment for internal rotation and a dump forward. Bingo. So the the cue bend the bar is a cue for external rotation and engagement of your periscapular muscles. So your inability to keep this, especially overhead where you're relying on your traps for stability, creates a moment of pitch forward mm -hmm. and this is also why your catch feels terrible this is also why when you get up there you can't wait to get out of it which is basically the main reason that you get impingement issues too when you're talking about overhead stability so you and i don't even know if i would describe it as upward rotation it's probably downward rotation of the scapula with an external rotation moment coming from your arms to so get like into the overhead position yeah, so your shift and scap kind of like rotates down and out or a stack is like you're punching out. But that would still be an upwardly rotated position relative to neutral. Yeah, I guess like semantics, but your rotation like, should have a leverage point towards your lower trap. 
in your rhomboids. Because if you look at the point of the shoulder, when your arm is overhead, you're not going to be able to retract into a downward position. I mean, like, just like the physical motion, like if you're like looking at it, an upward rotation would be up towards your ear, a downward rotation would be down towards your thoracic spine. So I saw a really good, have you ever seen the, the was it cold body, warm mind? No, was it warm body, cold mind? I can't remember the guy's name, the Russian, or no, he's Ukrainian. Alexei Tarkity. Uh, yeah, he had a very good visual of this where like he showed the the scap was in an upwardly rotated position, but then when he when he retracted it back, it still maintained that upwardly rotated scap. But then as he retracts it in, you can see where he's still holding that position, but it is in a retracted state. Sure. Maybe retracting is a better way to do it with a punch up. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that, that was the way I, cause I used to hear the retracted or like the, the, the bring your scaps down and back and you have that like stacked and stable position. But like in my mind, it didn't make sense mechanically where like, okay, if I'm going down into a downward rotation, but my, my humerus is going upward, then like, wouldn't that call it like that, that impingement position, right? I don't know. I think it's semantics, but you're, you're just trying to create a lever from your low trap, mid trap, rhomboid, and external rotation. So your mm-hmm. humerus is elevated, but your scap, in my opinion, probably rotates downward. Mm-hmm. But guys, I, I think the more important thing out of this is mm-hmm. what's active. So if you keep the tension out of your upper traps, you're probably going to be in a better spot. Bingo. Bingo. And that's you not shouldn't to be say bringing that, it to your ears. Correct. And like that's not mm-hmm. to say that your upper traps don't play a role in stability. They sure mm-hmm. as shit do, but they shouldn't be the thing driving it. Correct. Because you have a ton of lower hanging fruit, once again, on, on the lower side of your shoulder blades. And when you talk about shoulder health in general, when you look at somebody's mid-back, the people that tend to have the best posture are the people with the biggest overall backs, including the center of your shoulder blades in between them. If I mm-hmm. see an athlete that looks like this, uh, you're, you're probably going to stay bulletproof as long as like you stay in a good position. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you can't fatigue and then get pinchy, but you have a much better advantage over somebody who's got elevated hollow- to the ears, right? Or these hollowed out winging shoulder blades or lacks thickness mm-hmm. in their thoracic spine. Mm-hmm. Like you can probably even walk into a weightlifting meet or like a powerlifting meet literally pull everybody in there, look at their back and say, who's going to have the best press. Yeah. I mean, these guys at like West side, they look like they have like turtle shells on their back. It's so thick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what most of them do. They're, they're nuts. Um, they, they figured this out like forever ago. Mm-hmm. So I think that that kind of leads into our, I guess our next point here would be like, what would be areas to target to improve overhead stability for people? Sure. So I guess let's start with like the, uh, the mobility type person first. Um, so like obviously working thoracic extension, some things that I've done in the past would just be like one foam rolling, just kind of finding that pivot point in that like mid thoracic region and opening up into extension. Um, if it's if they're really really stiff, sometimes without the arms, and then as they get better, I'll incorporate the arms. Sure. Um, but the one caveat I would say is, 
making sure that they're getting the thoracic extension instead of a compensation and lumbar extension. Because you're going to move any way you can. And so people will love to use that lumbar extension in order to get the overhead position. So yeah. they think like, look, I'm making so much progress. And it's like, like not this really. is better, but this is not the right spot. Well, a hinge through like your TL junction or lumbar spine is probably going to cause a compression issue. Yes. So you have to be able to, and that, that's also a part of retraction, right? Yeah. That thoracic extension. So I'm basically looking at that and then everything that um, helps with internal rotation. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, lat, pec, uh, bicep. Aries major, all those. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, usually the lats are kind of the, the big ones, I think, as far as like what we're concerned with. Yeah. I'd agree. It's probably like one thing I tend to agree with squat you on, but I would, I would argue that the contribution is much greater from your thoracic extension. Yeah. Because, that and I think like. Because mm -hmm. of the activation you can then get from your shoulder blades. Yeah. I mean, then you got to look at, you know, if you do have that desk jockey who is trying to get overhead, you got to look at like the pecs, like pec minor in particular just for like, in order to get into that retracted position, that pec minor's just been over facilitated for so long. Uh, yeah. Sometimes rolling out with a foam roller is nice uh, or like a lacrosse ball, I should say. Um, yeah, but I'm again, not, I mean. I'm not the biggest fan of like soft tissue stuff, period. I would mm -hmm. much rather use like reciprocal inhibition. If you got put, like tight pecs, I'm probably going to have you just do a ton of pull-aparts. Yeah. But as far as like, yeah, like you're saying, if, if you want to feel like something's getting done to you and downregulate the pain sequence, mm -hmm. take a look at the big time internal rotators mm -hmm. and probably try to pop your T-spine. Get everything to open up. And then after that, like, I mean, right now, if you just sit down and you slouch, try to reach overhead, you won't get there. But as soon as you incorporate a nice tall posture and then you go to reach into the overhead position you're going to be like oh my gosh it opens up it's like ta-da that's why we that's why we try to work on that um, yep. and in a nutshell this is why you get shoulder impingement exactly you just put yourself in those precarious positions and the tissue gets irritated and then you have more of like the rotator cuff tendon that becomes irritated because of scapular positioning thoracic positioning yep. and what you're really doing here is you're creating more space under your AC joint for your tendons to operate. Exactly. Which is already not a big operating space to begin with. Yep. So you're just like maximizing your biomechanics to create an advantageous space to work in. Bingo. Bingo. And then, um, so like you can then switch that paradigm and go into the person who's more mobile. Um, the number one thing I have found is they just have a weak upper back. Like that is probably one of them. I mean, you could, you could sit there and, and hammer out like scapular stabilization like crazy, but if you don't have the spinal erector strength to actually assume an extended position, let alone maintain an extended position for a long period of time, especially yep. under load or repeated efforts, that I think is where people kind of go 
especially like with a snatch, repeated snatches, like like Isabel for the love of all that is good and holy. That is probably one of the hardest ones you can do because of just the high demand of mid-back, upper-back strength. Yeah, I'd even say that there's a probably easier test with this. Go do a go do a front squat, and if you have the propensity to round forward, uh, this is you. Yeah. So you need to look up sweat shrugs, banded sweat shrugs, and good mornings very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, get the back strong and everything else will follow. Strong central area, everything else out to the hands will become much more stable and strong. You'll be surprised. Right. Think about your thoracic spine as like the base of the pyramid. So if you have a weak base, mm -hmm. uh, it's very hard to maintain position and account for what's going to happen once the barbell moves overhead. Or, or even a bench press, right? Like if you don't mm -hmm. have a quote-unquote solid core, so your core in this situation would likely be your spinal erectors and your thoracic spine. Mm -hmm. Then you're not going to be able to manage load outside of it. Correct. You start getting into that scapular stability then. Um, I mean, I always look at the, the scapular sling of the rhomboids and the serratus. Um, how well are you or how effectively can you sustain engagement of the serratus to maintain that scapular stability? But then, like you were saying earlier, that that mid-lower trap combination for that retracted state when you have the arms overhead, um, you know, you're almost trying to stack it. Like if you're getting underneath a back squat, right, you're kind of stacking, you're getting everything from your upper back, you're getting the scapula tucked back, you're getting everything kind of packed in so that you can create the most rigid structure possible. Yep. Especially on a bench press, like when you talk about weightlifting, it gets a little bit more dynamic so it's hard to hard to do it but still stacking is going to create a much better uh drive mm -hmm. for en energy transfer up through your legs bingo yeah especially if you're trying to do like a snatch balance uh smash balance is a great example of this because as soon as you try to drive through your legs and your upper back just folds that bar ain't going anywhere yep we're gonna pitch it right into the rack <laughs> I may have done that a time or two. Yep. Amen. But um, then I guess rotator cuff strength. I almost feel like people, if I see one more person grabbing like a five pound weight, just standing there going in and out, for the record, that does not activate your rotator cuff. You're going to load your bicep tendon, which is wonderful, but like you will not be addressing any, like there was a, Saw a gentleman in particular, we won't say where, but was just standing there holding two 10-pound dumbbells and was just going in and out with his hands. And I wanted to say something, but I mean, I didn't know the guy. I didn't want to be that guy. Um, but that that does not help activate the rotator cuff. It doesn't help to even get blood flowing to the rotator cuff. Um, you're just loading the bicep. Nope. It's, uh, it's got to be in line with gravity, guys. Mm -hmm. Or you have to use band tension. Yeah, bingo. Um, you got to think about where the direction of the resistance is going, but you know, yeah. rabbit hole aside, um, I saw people think they get it wrong too, and they try to do just a ton of repetitions, mm -hmm. right? So like what your rotator cuff really is for is isometric stability. Mm -hmm. When you, when you look at like pressing in particular, so I think mm -hmm. doing like holds might be better, um, is why something like a bamboo bar is effective. This is why something like a farmer's carry is effective. This is something mm -hmm. 
uh, maybe like a like a bane hold or a front rack carry those are why yeah. these things are effective for developing this mm -hmm. uh, versus just doing repetitions of sideline external rotation yeah outside of a post-op window yeah i was gonna say repeated efforts um i like i do like the isometrics i will use repeated efforts if like the person's having um like, let's say difficulty moving or transitioning from the overhead like the the front rack position into the overhead sometimes we'll work on just repeated push presses or push jerks just so like they can actually learn how to maintain more often than not it's the coming back down and then going back up into the next rep yeah. um because it's like they might set up on the first one perfectly but then as soon as they have to load that back to the shoulder and then they lose everything it's more about kind of how can you keep everything in the upper back like efficiently stacked so that then you can allow the rotator cuff to perform its job moving you back into the overhead position as opposed to losing the upper back position and then trying to force it through the overhead um yeah and I, I really like doing um something where i have like a band around both wrists and you're making mm -hmm. them drive it out into that external rotation moment and then having them do a press whether it be a bench press or an overhead press and almost do it at tempo so that way you're, you're mm -hmm. getting that repetition with the isometric contraction mm -hmm. say tempo work is a wonderful thing for rotator cuffs um you already said isometrics um you know and if there is pain with your overhead pressing modify the movements from the time being until you can get things sorted out um doesn't have to be directly overhead I, like you already said you can reverse and re like maintain into an incline bench if you would need to for a time being um but i've had a few people who just keep trying to drive things through the strict press position and it or like even like push press or push jerk and it's like if that movement if all three of those are irritating like we need to dial back a little bit so we can find out what is causing you to have this discomfort with any of the movements um right and so like be afraid to modify the strength in these muscles are prerequisite for pressing. So you're not going to be able to regress a press back to the point where it's pain-free most likely mm -hmm. because you're lacking some strict strength somewhere else. Makes the overhead portion a lot more comfortable if you can get things to calm down and find out where you're weak at. Yeah. And I mean, from like a, like a long, long-term standpoint through sport guys, this is just flat out a volume game. So the more volume that you can get into your back, your upper back and your rotator cuffs compared to the amount of pressing that you do, the less likely you are to get injured outside of trauma. Mm -hmm. right, so you look at like what they do in these like uh, powerlifting methods, like obviously we're very partial to conjugate for a number of reasons, mm -hmm. but they do a good job of keeping your upper back and posterior chain volume super high. So your spinal erectors, always stay stimulated your rhomboids your mid traps your low traps they always stay in like a hypertrophy and strengthening mode relative to other uh, methodologies where you'll peak and then the volume drops and then you're most likely to get injured because your volume is so low it can't keep up with the demand of the load mm -hmm. and i actually think that that's why like when i started going from like playing rugby the CrossFit that there was such a great translation 
uh, of my strength into CrossFit, just for the simple fact that rugby players, we, we train the back in an insane amount. And so like coming into a lot of the lifts that require so much of that upper back strength, like we're always, we're, I mean, you're essentially lifting other dudes up into the air. So like you're working on your back strength, regardless, practice, lifts, whatever you got. Um, sure. I mean, rugby, I mean, conjugate and rugby kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. Or even just like you guys are driving into each other, like linemen. Yeah. You're kind of just like pushing through with some, some closed chain stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Which is like funny because I came from the exact opposite background where it's like all baseball. So we got minimal to none of that. And like it was almost like uh, shit on to, to do overhead pressing and bench press. It was weird. Mm-hmm. I, I was curious as to what you were going to say about that going from like training like a baseball player or like having that baseball background and then coming into CrossFit. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's just got to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, like it it sounds like the training and that's gone much further and understanding like the the need for closed kinetic chain and heavy pressing and I don't know, mm-hmm. general weightlifting. And it seems like it's moving forward, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, even like the quote unquote arm care routines now are light years ahead of what it was before. True, true. Actually, uh, that brings up a good point. Um, Nathan Garza with the Chicago Cubs was on the lab a few months ago. Was that really a few months ago? Yeah, it was. Um, and he actually, he, I almost got him on his soapbox talking about arm care and how he thinks that it can't just always be these light bands and it needs to start being more of like a strength and conditioning program to prepare people for that. Um, and I 100% agreed with him. Um, he's He's a phenomenal uh, strength conditioning coach with the Cubs. Uh, be better if oh. he was with the Reds, but if you if you think about it too, like a a pitch is technically a max effort lift. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Force force generation. So like, why would a fifteen pound J band or whatever yield the result of deceleration from a max effort lift? Thank you. Strength is Bring never up. a weakness, guys. Like just. You want to talk about muscular conditioning? I see the bands coming like use there, but you still probably gotta press heavy load so that way you can just do muscle recruitment force generation. And I think that's where, like, when you have a lot of CrossFitters who are constantly using the crossover symmetry, um, thinking that things are just gonna magically get better. This misses uh, the mark hard. Yeah, like it's 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 not enough. Crossover symmetry is a wonderful and like those bands are wonderful for warm-ups, but they will not be the driving force that is going to create the needed change or stimulus to actually gain strength into particular lifts or positions. Like Yeah, let's a, let's talk about this. <laughs> so if you are in a push-up position, you have force directed through what? The ground, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you have a barbell overhead or you're doing a handstand push-up, the force is directed down through your shoulder blades Mm -hmm. in what way does crossover symmetry meet any of those needs they provide no joint compression they really don't do much for isometrics they're good for blood flow but they they miss the mark Mm -hmm. from a number of different categories i mean great for general maintenance um but in my opinion it could just be junk volume yeah 
it's it's like doing cardio essentially like you're not going to be creating enough of a, a physical stimulus in order to generate change like loaded i would much rather load somebody in pain free or like you know mild amount of pain and create that muscular strength and create this change that they need for stimulus um as opposed to using bands all the time sure i mean like yeah the the barbell creates the natural isometric stabilization from your rotator cuff at mm -hmm. a much higher stimulus than than that can ever hope to achieve bingo bingo uh trying to think of another device so like you've already mentioned the bamboo bar um so like the application of perturbations or um rhythmic stabilization right the constant need for stability and awareness i mean i think it's good for showing right from wrong yeah right so it helps you define a, a place of correctness mm -hmm. and then it tries to displace you from it which is also kind of great for that um intermediate to lower lifter like mm -hmm. i mean if, if you and i got on there comparatively the oscillation would be much less just by nature of having exposure to it mm -hmm. actually there was uh do you see the squat video of uh it was nick chubb yeah had like that's six, unreal like 600 pounds on like for a reps bar yeah on an earthquake like that's then uh, the speed he moved it to was just disgusting and uh, just like no core oscillation just Straight up, straight down. Moved it like it was butter. It was so crazy. It was nuts. Um, but that is a wonderful tool. I mean, sometimes you see Instagram posts and people putting up where like they have that ball and they're smacking against the wall and then they pull it back and the guy's moving the hands all crazy. Heaven wells. Like, yeah, that I mean, I'll don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's there's a time and a place for things like that, but are you really generating a, a change that is desirable or is well, it the, just for show? The vectors of it are terrible too. No gravity. Just, it's awful. I question it. I would love to hear him talk about it. If he would ever want to like discuss as to how he thinks it's creating change, especially with high level athletes like that. I, um, I don't, I think he gets cherry picked because he has all the best athletes in the world and anything that you do is going to work. Then he makes it onto something onto social media but whatever yeah there's just i just feel like sometimes we we definitely miss the mark with loading athletes and then what what looks like is popular gets put out into the mainstream for like clinical decision making and it's like nope man it gives me a headache sometimes speaking of which i think like with the final couple of minutes uh, mm -hmm. we need to talk about the importance of the triceps in this <laughs> yes um, how could we forget the triceps so when you are pressing you should not feel your shoulders or your chest first okay so if you are not loading your triceps as like the primary shock absorber or mover this inherently is already a risk for your shoulder and chest complex uh mm -hmm as like the thing that really drives that like elbow extension and movement uh in a stretched position it's probably your triceps mm -hmm. as like a 
famously, we've learned through the years from Louie and other coaches, if you get a stronger tricep, your bench press is going to go up. If you get a stronger mm-hmm. tricep, you'll do more overhead uh, pressing motions or mm-hmm. push-ups or handstand push-ups or strict handstand push-ups. But your ability to lock that elbow will also create a much more stable platform for things to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tricep is like the, the big key there. Because, I mean, your deltoid and, you know, pecs, they, they can do so much. Um, but the triceps, elbow stability. Even the relative size of a tricep compared to your rotator cuff or your rhomboid or whatever. It, once again, there's just a ton more muscle mass. Mm-hmm. It's like not yeah. hitting strong, strong glutes and low back in a deadlift or something. Like it's just. It's a key component. Yep. The role of your shoulder really blade is. is just to lock into place and provide a stable surface for things to move on. What actually moves it? Probably the triceps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point, Dave. That's actually a very good point. Surprised we forgot that, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, but and there's, once again, just like more rabbit holes that we can go down with this, but hit your tricep work, get them as big as possible, and load them mm-hmm. as heavy as possible. I could even make a case for CrossFit athletes sticking to a medium to close grip by nature of the sport, just so you are loading your triceps with plenty of volume. Yeah. I mean, the close grip bench press is a wonderful tool. It really is. Or even floor press. If you're touchy through the pressing motion and your triceps are weak, you move to Mm -hmm. a floor press where you're using like chains or bands or whatever, and you want to blow Mm -hmm. somebody up before they leave, do it. It'll just naturally mm-hmm. make stuff go away. That's what I have today. I've got some banded close grip bench press. It's going to be wonderful. Smart man. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Alex Trotter, by the way, for showing me the light. <laughs> uh, no, well, we hope you guys enjoyed today's discussion on uh, overhead stability. Um, eventually, Dave and I will get more into putting out more instructional videos and putting all of that up on the YouTube page. But in the meantime, if you haven't yet, please, please, please uh, follow the Instagram page, find the YouTube uh, channel on uh, online, and then, you know, drop us a follow on Instagram, please. Um, that really helps us. It gives us a little bit more motivation. And it also helps us with, you know, what our, our target audience really wants to know about. So again, if we put up a poll and we post it on our pages, let us know what you guys are thinking. All right. Blow it up. Blow it up. All right, guys, have a good one.